You're listening to Pressed Podcast. Don't talk, just listen. Listen, listen. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Pressed Podcast. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Jasmine. She's a therapist in training, a fellow podcaster, and she has a new title to add to her belt, content creator. So welcome to Press Podcast. Jasmine, how are you? Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So when people come on Press Podcast, the first question that I like to ask them is, who are you outside of your social media platforms and your title and your education? Who Mm -hmm. is Jasmine deep down inside? Oh, man. I mean, well, there's so many layers to me. Um, But first and foremost, I am a woman. I'm a black woman. Um, So that just comes with, I I feel like I wear that as a badge, honor badge, because in today's society, it's hard being a black woman. Um, So I take pride in that. Um, I am a perfectionist. I um, love to strive for the best. It could be a blessing and a curse, but... I just take pride in just getting more. There's always more out there for us to get, to achieve. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just always trying to achieve something. I'm from Brooklyn, which, you know, anyone from Brooklyn, we wear our, we wear that like another badge of honor. I love to just help people, helping people with something I'm passionate about, which is why I ended up in this field. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's just a little bit about me. I love the black girl magic. My mom says that all the time. And I used to think it was like really cringe. But when you meet other black women that are successful, it's it is truly touching, you know, and yeah. I, I hear your Brooklyn accent coming out just a little bit. One of my close friends, Naomi, is from Brooklyn. So she's taught me about, you know, some things. I went to her baby shower in Brooklyn. That was my first time ever. I loved it. Do you see really? yourself moving anywhere else? Um. See, I love I love being here. Like this is mm-hmm. obviously where I grew up, born and raised. So if I had to choose, mm-hmm. I would stay here, but unfortunately, I feel like it is important to spread your wings and, you know, just see what else is outside your your hometown. So I definitely don't want to stay here um for the rest of my life, <laughs> but it is somewhere like later down the line when I'm rich and I'm ready to settle down, I probably will come back here. So you're a therapist in training, and that's kind of like the focal point of your podcast, right? Yes. So I started Vulnerable Vibes to really kind of, I feel like as you become a therapist, you're learning so much that you did not know and so much that people won't know unless they're in the same shoes as you. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I needed to start my podcast to kind of give information to my peers who aren't studying to become a therapist you know who probably won't get this information yeah and i think vulnerability for a black woman is difficult because maybe it's just how i was raised but that strong black woman narrative i came from a strong woman who came from a strong woman yada yada you know you know the vibes so it's almost like being vulnerable means that you're weak and so i'm getting out of the mindset that vulnerability is not okay And the reason why y'all don't know this at home, but I found Jasmine on TikTok and I know y'all are probably rolling your eyes because every episode I talk about something from TikTok. I found her on TikTok and she made a video about different attachment styles. And the one that she was talking about literally slapped me in the face. Like I cannot even believe that my life was read for filth. 
like this by a stranger on the internet. And so many people in the comments were like, oh my gosh, like you're the real deal. Can you tell us about attachment styles and like what they are and how to identify them? Yeah, of course. Um, well, first I want to ask you, which attachment style did you feel like you resonated with? I, the, the TikTok says she's a 10, but immediately goes silent when something upsets or bothers her and will not talk for the rest of the night. And you can ask my husband. This is 100% <laughs> true. This is literally how I cope. So I have an anxious attachment style, right? Mm -hmm. So, well, first off, attachment styles are, I just want to kind of put a disclaimer. They're not disorders. They're not mental health disorders. They're just ways in which we interact, um, especially within relationships. Mm -hmm. So attachment styles were developed as kids as early as infancy. Um, wow. That first attachment that we had with our parents or our caregivers is what kind of set precedence for the attachment style that we have as, a, as adults. And just like throughout our childhood. So attachment styles, um, they were developed by a psychiatrist, um, John Bobley, uh, early in the early 1970s. Um, and throughout the studies of attachment styles, how they developed it was researchers kind of put these kids in um, within, with their parents. They tested them to see what would happen if their parents left the room. Um, and so some kids would, they would cry and as soon as their parent got back, they would be fine. Some kids would avoid their parents when they got back. Some kids would show anger to their parents when they got back. And so throughout those studies, they developed the four attachment styles, which is secure attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and disorganized attachment. When I was growing up, if we got in trouble, my mom would give us like reflection time like you would have to go to your room, you could not turn the TV on, you couldn't have your phone, you sat there in the dark and you reflected on what happened or what you did wrong or what you, where you went wrong. And then after that, like sitting in there 15 minutes, you came back out and then you talked to her like, you know, I apologize for this or I feel like I went wrong here and X, Y, Z. So I really, like my husband didn't experience that. Like he was disciplined in a different way. So whenever we get in, conflict like when we have conflicts he responds a certain way and I just like I can't I shut down I need to go I need to like have my reflection time and yeah. I feel like now I'm like too old for that but I mean I don't think it's I don't think that's wrong necessarily I think it is important mm -hmm. to reflect for everyone that's different like in within yeah. my relationship I think it's the same way like I need a minute to mm -hmm. figure out how I'm feeling and my boyfriend, he's like, I'm ready to talk about it right now. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I think I, I also do resonate a little bit with the anxious attachment style. So I think that is just um, just that fear of not wanting to upset that person or not wanting them to leave because you don't know what you're going to say, how you're going to say it if you just react on your emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and so you just need a minute to just kind of retract and just reflect mm -hmm. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because if you do not, if you don't take that minute, you might react in a way that is not really the way you want to react. So it's, it's good that I do take that minute, but so yeah. anxious attachment style that is, can you talk about the background of it? Like how were you as a child to grow up and have anxious attachment? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So with anxious attachment style, as a child, you may have had a parent who responded to your needs really inconsistently. So, um, you know, they probably had their own things going on. They probably had their own trauma that they were dealing with. And so 
that made them respond to you sometimes in really hurtful, critical ways. And even just how they were grew, they grew up, they probably grew up with parents who were really hurtful and just straight on and blunt. And so they just, you know, adapted those parenting styles. And these responses um, created a like sense of insecurity within you, um, being uncertain of what to expect out of a person, being uncertain of um, how a person is going to respond to you. And so as an adult, you grow up to constantly require a lot of reassurance, a lot of attentiveness in your relationships. And it might even get to a point where you feel uncomfortable unless you're completely dependent on these relationships and where you like you have to know where you stand in this relationship with the person. Mm-hmm. Even if they even if they show that yeah, I love you, I care about you, you you always have to know. You always have to be reassured because um as a child, you probably spent a lot of time having to kind of guess how your parents felt based on their, you know, just social cues that you picked up on, based mm-hmm. on how they responded to you, their tone of voice, their their attitude, their persona, their body language. You had to pick up on those things because they didn't really tell you how they felt directly. Um, they indirectly expressed how they felt just through their actions. And so... Um, that is so... I'm going to just interrupt really quick, but mm-hmm. that's actually really accurate I know you know it's accurate but when you're telling me I feel like it's accurate because I'm a very good reader of like people's emotions I know when somebody's not feeling what I'm saying and it it was good as a journalist because it's like oh I can't talk like that around this person or I can't say these things around this person Mm because they're going to feel some type of way and I see on their face I see it in their body language and then also like even in my relationship I feel bad for my husband because if I know that you love me, it's not enough. You got to tell you got to tell me every day. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't care how you feel about me. Like, I need to hear it. I need to feel it. And it has yeah. to be constant. And I do feel bad because I know, like, if someone isn't ready for that sort of thing, then it's kind of like, mm-hmm. dang, like, again? Like, you want me to say it again? But I feel like my husband has kind of, I don't know, I can't speak for him, but I feel like he's gotten used to it at this point. Yeah, just even just to um, piggyback on what you said, so with an anxious attachment style, like, any change in behavior triggers you. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if a person, like, doesn't text you back right away, you you start to feel overly anxious. Yes. Um, And... (laughs) So this attachment style, you know, it, it it stems from child children who suffer from abandonment issues. Also, children who what um, felt like yeah. So yeah, children okay. suffer from abandonment issues. Also, children who and it could be. Don't get me wrong. I also wanted to say this another disclaimer too. With these attachment styles, they don't necessarily mean that you had bad parents or that you had parents who really didn't, you know give you what you needed emotionally sometimes we had great parents but they just maybe have done something that just resulted in us looking at it from that perspective you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. even if uh parents worked a lot if your parent worked a lot and they weren't home a lot that can play a part you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it doesn't necessarily mean that your parent is bad and listen this is like not one size fit all but yeah Mm -hmm. so people with an anxious attachment style they can suffer from abandonment issues or um, you know, from a parent or a caregiver, because that trauma is what caused that anxiety mm-hmm. in that relationship. Um, and people with an anxious attachment style feel like they want to get close, they want to trust this person, but they're just scared that they might get hurt or that this person might leave them. And so they 
feel very overwhelmed and anxious when it comes to communicating um, because communication is uncomfortable because I don't want this person to not love me. I don't want this person to leave. So I'm just not going to communicate. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And just like kind of going back to what you said that you do within your relationship, even though reading people, a lot of us, you know, feel like that. Like we can read people, we can pick up on, you know, mm -hmm. different social cues. Sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's not good because we can sometimes overanalyze a person's uh, behavior because of our anxious attachment but sometimes that person may be just sleepy you know what I mean like they may just be tired yeah <laughs> they might not you know be doing that towards you intentionally but we mm -hmm. sometimes tend to overanalyze that behavior because that's what we had to do as kids we had to overanalyze our parents behavior because they didn't express to us in a healthy way how they felt and I think like personally I don't have abandonment issues but I will say that a lot of the problems that I grew up with, my parents tried to shield from me. And because they thought mm -hmm. that they were like completely shielding a situation when they like, I, I get that they were doing their best, but I still saw some of the things that were happening and I heard some of the things that were happening. And it's kind of like, okay, they're not going to come out and tell me. So now I need to figure out like what's going on, like right. this month, what's happening. And that's just kind of how, I don't know, it, I guess, this is why I always say I'm like terrified to have a kid. Um, I'm finally just now coming around to the fact that like it may be okay. I'm married now, but like the fact that you have to shape someone's entire personality and I have great parents and they did a great job, but I still have anxious attachment issues. Like, yeah. and it's, like no one's going to come out perfect. And that scares me. Do you yeah, feel the I mean, same way? Are you like nervous for kids? Oh, a hundred percent. One hundred percent. Even me becoming a therapist, I'm like, I still. It's just yeah. because, like you said, it. it yeah, it's like mm -hmm. a lot of responsibility, and you know, which is why I always say, like, when I talk about these things on my podcast, I always say, like, of course we're gonna be a little angry and upset with our parents, like, mm -hmm. you know, of course, but we still have to realize that parenting is hard at the end of the day, especially when you have unresolved trauma and issues. It's like. You know what I mean? But yes, that does scare me. Um, I'm on the fence of just being the rich auntie. I don't know if I'm going to. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to participate in being a mom yet, but we'll see down. We'll see later down the line. You identified with the anxious attachment style a little. Is that yeah. something that you identify within yourself? Did you go to a therapist? Like, how did you find it out? Yes, I went to a therapist. Um, I've been in therapy for a while and that's something that First of all, I think I first before I brought it to my therapist, I was studying it in one of my classes and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and so I brought it to her. We talked about it. And, um, you know, just with more time and research, I realized which ident which one I identified with. And I actually identified with two. Okay. Um, so I identified we, let's with talk about the rest of them. So everybody listening can yeah. find theirs and go find a therapist after that. But anyway. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, so I guess we can move on to the avoidant attachment style. So this mm -hmm. one, so the video that you saw on TikTok, this can also resonate with this one too. Okay. So this is avoidant, aka dismissive attachment. And people with this style, they had to rely on caregivers or parents who were emotionally unavailable. Um, they would, they would uh, express to their kids in a way 
that crying is not okay. Like being sensitive, being vulnerable, expressing emotions, that's very discouraged within this attachment style. Mm -hmm. And these parents were pretty much really strict, uh, emotionally distant, insensitive. They didn't really, like I said, they just didn't tolerate the expression of feelings. And they expected their child to be tough and independent. And um, yeah. these are, you know, yeah, these are the children who grew up with um, an avoidant attachment style. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, they their independence is non-negotiable. They don't rely on people. They feel like that's just unsafe. You know, that feels mm -hmm. unsafe to them, relying on others, whether it's relying on them emotionally or even physically, even for something as small as um, money, like borrowing money from people. They, they don't rely on anyone. Um, and that's because their parents um, push them to be emotionally distant and just independent. And also with children who grew up with these type of parents, their parents prove proved to them through action that they couldn't rely on anyone. And so they learned at a very early age that they only can rely on themselves. And that like I said, that's emotionally and just in all in all aspects. I I I was a cheerleader and a gymnast, so I'm not really like a hardcore athlete, but mm -hmm. it's like this ongoing joke that athletic parents are like very stern. I've seen it on TikTok a lot or like the ride home after a game and you didn't play good and your dad is like, what the heck? Like going in on you. I personally never experienced that because I didn't play like, like I was a competitive cheerleader, but if I didn't do good, nobody knew because it was a team yeah. sport. So, but anyway. No, yeah, definitely. Um, because like you said, a lot of parents that ride home, they didn't, <laughs> they probably didn't like offer any space for the children to be emotional. Like, yeah. you know, like, oh, it's, it's okay to be sad that you lost this game. Like, it's mm -hmm. okay. You can cry. A lot yeah. of parents probably didn't do that. You know what I mean? So. But how yeah. much is too much? Like, then are you, like, raising a whiny kid? Like, uh. I mean, I think that's a good question. I think it's important to just teach your kid that it is okay to be, to tap into their emotions. It's okay yeah. to um, be vulnerable. Um, but definitely finding that balance with like, okay, like cry about it for maybe a few hours and then wake up and then say, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to dust my shoulders off. I'm going to yeah. try again. At least I got it out. But I think it's important to get out those emotions because what happens is when you teach your kid that it's not okay to be emotional, you raise an avoidant or a dismissive attachment <laughs> adult. Mm -hmm. who now they struggle with intimacy and they struggle with sharing their feelings with their significant other or with their friends because that's what happens mm -hmm. with people with this attachment style. They, because their parents didn't make that, didn't normalize that idea of sharing their feelings and crying and being vulnerable, mm -hmm. they are now clo like closed off people. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So they struggle in relationships. They struggle being vulnerable, being their genuine self. Um, and they feel like being themselves and just being just true to them will result in being unloved and rejected. Because like I said, wow. they learned at a young age that expressing themselves can be dangerous. That's mm -hmm. two out of four, right? So that's the second yeah, that's attachment four. style. Hmm. I know yeah. somebody out there is like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I, done, I done owned up to mine. I said I have anxious. So if you have mm -hmm. one of these, I also am a big believer in therapy. And I talked about this uh, last season. I currently don't have a therapist because I just moved to Chicago and I don't really know how long I'm going to be here. So I don't want to like 
build a relationship with someone and then yeah. just leave. Cause I yeah, feel yeah. like the relationship that you have with your therapist is very important, trusting them and just mm-hmm. being able to confide in them. Um, but what I will say is that when I was in therapy, it really did help me become a more well-rounded person. And I mm-hmm. think even though I like anxiously await to see how someone's body language is going to react or to see what they say, or, you know, I know my therapist was probably like tired of me coming into therapy and it's like, I don't think X, Y, Z, I don't think this person likes me anymore. She's like, oh, did she say that? No, she didn't say it. But when I was talking to her, she looked to the left, looked down and then looked to the right. And I know she does that when she's pissed. So I pissed her off. I don't even know what I did. That's literally how all of my conversations with my husband go. And he's like, um, okay. That's definitely um, something that uh, people with an anxious attachment style do yeah. a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. they because like I said, you overanalyze people's yeah. behavior and their, and the social cues that you pick up on. And any change in behavior from someone in your life is like, wait, what was that? Like, now you're obsessing over it. You're anxious. And yeah. And I think it's important to note that you can not get over them, but you can overcome these. Like, you can overcome the way that you feel and just how you react to certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Attachment styles are not permanent. Like, even... Mm -hmm. Even honestly, even the attachment style that you may have gotten from your parent or your caregiver, it could have changed throughout your life. You know what I mean? Like we have yeah. friendships, we have relationships with people. You could adopt uh, attachment styles through, the, through those relationships too. It's not only with your parents or your caregivers. Um, so they can 100% change, um, which brings me to the third one, organized attachment style. Hmm. This one is a little more complicated. This uh, attachment style is basically a combination of both the anxious and the avoidant okay so uh yeah so this is a primary attachment style for people who have may have survived some trauma within their uh relationships with their parents or their caregivers um and a lot of psychologists argue that parents who act as figures of both fear and reassurance to their child contribute with contribute to having this attachment style so what that means is this child may have felt both comforted and scared by the parent um, Mm -hmm. which creates this confusion this disorganized confusion and so people with this attachment style they desperately crave affection but they also want to avoid it at all times wow yeah so it's kind of like they're like a walking contradiction in a way Mm -hmm. um they're very reluctant to develop close relationships with people, but at the same time, they have a dire need to, like, feel loved, and um, they crave emotional intimacy, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's hard for them to connect with people, and um, they mm-hmm. kind of like an anxious attachment style. They feel like they're safer um, not connecting with people because they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to get abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so people with this attachment style, they can have a little bit of both of the traits of an avoidant and and an anxious attachment. I'm thinking about now what this is reminding me of is this is all hypothetical, but the girl that like never has any friends and you meet her and it's like, I don't have any friends. Like I don't have any girlfriends. And then you're friends with her and you see why she doesn't. It's Mm -hmm. almost like you said, a walking contradiction because you're not really that good of a friend, but you also want to hang out, want to do these things, want to see me, but then when we hang out, it just doesn't feel right. What do yeah, you- that makes a lot of sense. I actually never thought about it in that way. But yeah, that mm-hmm. those people 
it's like when you hang out with them, it's like, yeah, I wish I had more connections with people. Mm-hmm. And then once you hang out with them, you realize, well, you may be self-sabotaging. And yeah. that's what a lot of people with this attachment style, they, they tend to fall into a lot of self-sabotaging behavior because deep down, they are scared of connecting with this person. So they may want the connection at first, but then a few weeks or months down the line, they're like, wait, I don't, this is scary. I don't want this anymore. So I'm going to self-sabotage. And it's like a subconscious thing that they do. And they're just really confused because of the relationship that they had with their parents. I think that makes a lot of sense. And this is not the complicated one? Like this, is this not the most complicated attachment style? No, this is the, this is the most complicated one. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm sure it's easy to uh, fit into the first three, but what's the last one? You said it was secure? Yeah. So the last one is secure. So this one obviously is the attachment style that we all want to be in, the attachment (laughs) style that we all want to achieve. Um, And as if, if you experience a secure emotional bond growing up, you know, that means that your parents were consistent for the most part. They um, provided you the feeling of being safe and protected emotionally. Um, and you felt that they were just very present emotionally, very accepting of your emotions. Then you grow up with this attachment style. You become an adult who is comfortable with developing emotional intimacy. You're able to balance being close to others while also being independent. And you can communicate effectively, resolve conflicts effectively. You have high self-esteem. You enjoy intimate relationships. You're not really scared to connect with people. Um, You're able to give and receive love and affection easily. You're able to seek out social support. You're able to be vulnerable. And so obviously we all want to be this person, right? right? (laughs) But I mean, the truth is we can, but it's, I think it's important to know that. And I had to learn this as well. Our lives are, life is too complicated for us to always have a secure attachment style. You know what I mean? Like we're always going to be going through something. We're always going to be bumping into people as far as like within our relationships there's always going to be conflicts but the important part is we can always practice these secure uh characteristics and i'm glad that these are like ever changing as you evolve as a person but one thing i will say is like being a big sister is kind of the reason why i feel so responsible for other people like i are you a big sister too yes i am (laughs) Oh my gosh, how well, many siblings I can resonate do you have? with that. <laughs> so I have three siblings. Um, I have an older sister, an older brother, and a little brother. So what would you say is probably like the most challenging part for you about being a big sister? So I would say, so the dynamic I have with my younger brother is, is different than most because mm-hmm. I, like there was a time where I was basically raising him mm-hmm. as a kid, right? But we'll get into that yet later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I always felt just a responsibility to make sure that he's always doing the right thing. Like as an older sister, like that's the, I think that's the hardest part. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I want you to be comfortable coming to me about certain things and talking Mm -hmm. to me and opening up that, you know, the things that you don't want to tell our mom, but like, dang, (laughs) I I also want to parent you a little bit. Cause why did you do that? And why do you think it was okay to do that? But I get everyone has to go through their own, lessons even though people told me what they did right and wrong I still went through it myself and I'm all right so I have to remember that they'll be okay and if they're not okay it's not my job to fix that because they have parents just how I had parents and 
I need to just slide that responsibility on to somebody who asked for it, which are our parents. So I want to take this in a different direction, though, and talk to you about your journey, like as a black woman, because I know you Mm -hmm. mentioned that before. What is it like for you as a black woman to become a therapist and to give other people that look like you the opportunity to really just find themselves and just become one with who they are? Yeah, um, so I'll start by saying when I first entered this field, it definitely was not very black. Mm -hmm. Um, There were obviously, like I had um, a professor who was a therapist, you know, but it was, this was back in 2013. So um, 2014, so it wasn't like a lot of black therapists that I saw personally. Even when I was in college, I I had a white therapist at mm-hmm. first. You know what I mean? So it was something that wasn't like, it didn't have a lot of representation. And so I kind of mm-hmm. went into it like, I want to be the representation that mm-hmm. I don't have. And so I think that that's one thing that was hard. And another thing is, which is I think is the hardest thing about being a black woman in this field. My, like our community does not really believe in mental health like maybe they maybe we do now but when I first started when I first had this dream and this passion to become a therapist I even remember my family was like girl what what there's no money in that like what are you what are you talking about like who cares about that you know what I mean and not just not because they were discouraging me or anything but just because like it just wasn't something that people talked about like nobody really none of our our parents I mean I don't know about you but a lot of us our parents our grandparents they didn't really have therapists they didn't really have like these mental health days that we have now they didn't really care about anxiety or depression like Mm -hmm. that's just not something that was a thing in our community Mm -hmm. and so it was hard to kind of get into this field and I'm learning about all these things and I know that they're so important, but now I have to go back home and see how my, you know, my family and my own community, they're just like, this is not important to us. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that's hard because you are passionate about this and you know that you're going to, you know, be a help to a community, but this community is not open to the help Mm -hmm. that you're studying to become. So I think that was really hard. That was a hard part of my journey at first. And I think now, since I want to say like 2018, things have gotten a lot better because now we see how mental health is at the forefront now. Right. You know what I mean? Like than Mm -hmm. ever before. Literally, I've never seen ads and commercials about mental health growing up until now. And it's absolutely amazing. I will say I did kind of go through that whenever... I think it was college whenever I decided to get a therapist. And my therapist, uh, it was a white lady. She was very nice. I loved her. Like, truly, she really did make a difference in my life. Like, we did a deep dive on why I believe what I believe and what I want to carry on with me as values and things like that. And I think it's it was very helpful. But the... I don't want to say the backlash, but the aftermath of telling my family that I had a therapist, they were definitely like... Right. So are you okay though? You need to come home. And I was like, no, I'm good. Like, (laughs) what are you going to do differently from your parents with your kids? If you want them or, you know, with your nieces and nephews and things like that. Um, so I think something that I'm going to do different is honestly give my children the space to be right. 
You know black, what I mean? Oh, wow. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Not in a black household. Not <laughs> a little baby being right. How I was raised, um, it was a little complicated, like, my childhood, mm-hmm. because I was raised by multiple people. But regardless, in a black household, mm-hmm. the child is wrong. It doesn't matter if your point makes sense. It doesn't matter if you come with a little PowerPoint. I'm the adult. You're the child. So I'm always going to be in the right. You're always going to be in the wrong. And I think what that does is that kind of dismisses how that child feels. And it teaches them that your emotions don't really matter to authority. Just because I'm your parent does not mean that I'm never going to be wrong. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to apologize to you. It It may be a day where I come home, you didn't do the dishes, and I just lash out. And I, I'm going to be honest, like, come on, like, you know what I mean? In those, that may happen. That may happen. As Even if, if I say I'm never going to yell at my kids, I might come home and have a long day and I might yell at them. But later on, I'm going to apologize. That's just such a good example of just like putting your pride to the side and just, mm-hmm. just being a person. I don't know, putting your feelings on your sleeve, putting your heart on your sleeve. And just saying sorry. And as an adult, that's a valuable skill that I don't think many people have. Some people just cannot apologize. And I think maybe if they were raised with parents that apologize, then that could be different. Yeah. And even teaching them how to identify their feelings is important. And I think that that's something I'm going to implement. Because sometimes I don't actually know how I'm feeling or how to express how I feel. Mm -hmm. But just with that knowledge of like, you know, This is disappointment. This is anxiousness. This is happiness. This is just, you know, contentment. Just teaching them the different emotions and the different feelings so that they have that space to express themselves. Because I love when I see videos of, like, little kids, and they just use these huge words. Like, Mom, you disappointed me when you made macaroni for dinner and I wanted a cheese. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. Even though it's something so minuscule, it's still a child and they were still able to express how they feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just so beautiful. Like, truly, it is. I agree. That was, those are the type of kids I want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, like you said, identifying your feelings and your emotions is, is really important. It's key. Do you believe in generational curses? And if you do, what generational curses have you broken for your family? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, and intergenerational trauma is a hundred percent real. Um, what happens to your parents and how they process that is definitely passed down to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say one, I think I've broken a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I would say one that I've broken is, um, I guess continuing my education. That's one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably the only black woman in my family with a mat that's about to have a master's degree. Wow. Yeah. So that's a big one. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, um, and I guess the, <laughs> the second one would be, um, I don't have any kids yet. You know, children are a blessing, I, which I agree. Yeah, but I yeah. think, I think a lot of people within my family had children when they weren't emotionally ready. And so yeah. I think that, I think it's I think it's not even about having a kid. I think I haven't had a kid yet when I'm not emotionally ready. I think that's one sort of uh, generational curse that I've broken. I don't really have any kids out of wedlock. Yeah, which is great. That's awesome. It's a blessing. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people may look at it as like a brag. You know what I mean? But it really isn't a brag. Is, like, yeah, I really truly like. 
had to, I don't want to say had to fight for this, but it's really a mindset that you have to have. Like, no, I really, truly want more. Like, and yeah. I, and this is not to say that they didn't want more either, or what I have is more and what they have is not. That's mm -hmm. definitely not what I'm saying. But I think that just overcoming something that generations of people have not yeah. been able to overcome and, and seeing like the fruits of that labor, like I'm truly enjoying my marriage. So when is your master's program over? When are you going to be a therapist officially? Just like anything in America, the process is long to mm -hmm. get licensed. So I do have to still complete some hours. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I don't really have an estimate of how long that'll be. Yeah. But hopefully by next year, this time, I'd be done and I'd have my license. Well, congratulations on everything that you've accomplished so far. And it was such an honor to talk with you and break everything down. And I don't know, have you been my therapist for this last hour? You know. <laughs>